Good morning, everybody. And in particular, good morning to Rosaline Kilbane, who joins me this morning. Rosaline is one of the founder partners of the Community Law Partnership, which is a multi-award winning social welfare law practice in Birmingham. She's previously chaired the Law Society's Housing Law Committee and been on the Civil Litigation Committee. In 2012, she was the Legal Action Group Social Welfare Lawyer of the Year, and she sits as a Deputy District Judge. And she's now the managing partner of the Community Law Partnership and somebody who I've had a pleasure of working with for the last 30 years. Good morning, Rosaline. <laughs> Good morning. Is it really that long? I'm afraid it is, isn't it? <laughs> um, we've both been around this particular horse track for a very long time. The purpose of this interview is to try and get your perspectives on how you've managed to have a stellar and successful legal career whilst being a perfectly ordinary person. And I say that to be <laughs> your enormous credit. And to explore what the barriers are for people coming into the legal profession who don't think their face might fit or their background might fit with what people traditionally think as being successful lawyers. Yeah. So, first of all, why did you choose the law as a profession? Well, from a very young age, I was very aware of fairness and unfairness and something that used to really, really upset me and make me cross and cause me to get into fights when I was at junior school was things that weren't fair. So I always wanted things to be fair and it was a bit of a bee in my bonnet. I suppose that I thought that going into the law would advance the fairness of things, that I could help make things fair, which I suppose was terribly naive at the time. And also, I was very interested in housing rights as, as I grew older in, into my teens, partly because I was born into what we would now call a housing multiple occupation. In those days, it was called rooms. We had our family had some rooms in a house that was lived in by lots of other people, which I loved because I had all of these aunties and uncles in the house, but which wasn't great fun for my mum, especially. We sort of aspired to council housing in, in my family. That was that was we were always trying to get a council house for ourselves and we, we never did. And eventually my dad's brother in law lent him the deposit for a house when I was ten. So I was sort of also very aware of the shortage of affordable housing and the fact that you didn't have an automatic right to it. Um, that, that doesn't feel to me like most people's idea of where lawyers grow up. Well, I'm not most people's idea of where <laughs> lawyers grow up. I mean, not only did I not know anybody who was a lawyer, I didn't know anybody who'd been to university. I didn't know anybody who'd done A-levels. My mum and dad both left school when they were 15. My dad left his home on the west coast of Ireland to go and pick potatoes in Scotland at the age of 15 in his first pair of long trousers ever. And um, my mum left school at 15 because she had nine brothers and sisters in Liverpool and needed to help feed them because my granddad was a docker at the time before the National Dock Labour Scheme where you went to work for the day, and if there was no work for the day, there was no pay either. So it was, it was hugely insecure, and my mum's family were very poor as a result. And so even though she was a very bright kid, she had to leave school at 15 to go and work to earn money to help the family finances. So that, that was, you know, that was my background. 
So it sounds like your dad was a, a victim of an early form of zero hours contracts, or your granddad, I should say. Oh, he was, yeah. That was, I mean, my dad worked on the docks as well, but by the time my dad was on the docks, the introduction of the National Dock Labour Scheme meant that if there was no work for the day, because of the vagaries of ships coming in and needing to be loaded and all the rest of it, uh, they still got paid, which is yeah. why, although we lived in, in relative poverty, it wasn't absolute the way my mum's was. And of course, it was a legal change which moved from the previous insecure system to the National Dot Labour Scheme. Yes. It was the result yes, of politics uh, and law. And, and trade unionism. Yeah. So how did you make the progression from school to being a lawyer? Did you, did you identify yourself at an early stage at school as somebody who wanted to go to university and do something different from the model from your parents' generation? Well, I was just, I was just incredibly grateful to have the opportunity. I didn't really aspire to anything when I was 16. In fact, I was talking to my mum and dad about whether I should leave school at 16 and get a job or whether I should stay on and get A-levels. And my dad's very enlightened attitude was, well, you do whatever you want, love, because in a few years' time, you'll be pushing a pram. Um, <laughs> so it really doesn't matter. You just go and do whatever you want to do. So I did. And I, I did A-levels. And then looking at available courses, it was law that grabbed me partly because of my obsession with fairness. And I thought that I could make a difference in the world. And so I went to university to do law, where I must say I became horribly disillusioned because I met a lot of people who were nothing like me in the law faculty, whose only concern was making money out of it. And that quite shocked me. And I thought, oh, no, this is not for me. I don't want to go and be a solicitor just to make money. And, I, and I, decided, I had decided then that I wasn't going to I wasn't going to qualify. I wasn't going to become a solicitor. But then uh, somebody came to talk to the the radical law group that was in existence at Birmingham University at the time. And that was one Derek McConnell, who at the time was the solicitor at Salt Lee Law Centre. And he talked about the work that he did. And I thought, oh, I could do that. But by that stage, the time for applying to the College of Law had, had come and gone. I was in my final year. And I went off and did other things for a few years. And then at the time, a law degree exempted you from the common professional exam for a period of five years. I don't know what the situation is these days. And I just knew that if I didn't do the final exam with the exemption, then I would never do it. So I thought, well, I'll go back, I'll do the final year, and if I can get a job in an area of law that I want to work in, then I'll do it. And if I don't, then I'll do something else. But I must say that this was in the golden age of free education, and I didn't have to commit to pay for the solicitor's finals course because my local authority paid the fees. I I'm not sure I'd have made that decision if I'd had to have been committing a load of money to it. Yeah. And if it hadn't been for that talk... I might, know, I, I, I might never have come back. I mean, this is one reason why I am always willing to go and, and go to talk to students about what we do, because I don't think that they are made aware that alternatives are available. I don't think that they learn very much about legal aid or social welfare law. Um, and so I'm always 
happy to go to talk to students about what we do because um, it was somebody doing that that sort of inspired me. Yeah, when I when I go to speak to students about the work I do on life and death cases, medical treatment, you can see that for some people it's a complete turn off because, as you say, they just want to make money, but yeah. for others. It's the most gripping thing they've ever heard because they cannot imagine being in a court case where the result will be somebody lives or dies. Yes, yes. Um, and, and the fact that this is all part of law, along with you know, banking covenants, just shows the width of, yes. of what we do. Yes. I mean, it, to, to get somebody housed or securing their home or, or to get a house that's falling down around their ears fixed is, is fantastic, as you know, because you did some of that with me all of those years ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Um, you know, and it, it, it's really, the, the law can be really important in making a difference to people's lives. Well, the law is the, is the great equaliser because a tenant who has limited economic power can nonetheless harness the power of the law yes. when, for example, their landlord is leaving them in a damp environment yes. because the same rules apply to a millionaire as they apply to a tenant in the, in the worst property yes. about keeping the property in repair. Yes, um, it is. So long as there's people there to help them enforce those rights, which is, which is another issue altogether. Well, legal rights without the ability to enforce them are worthless. Yes. Yeah. When you finished the CPE, you then have to do what we now call a training contract. But in the old days, it was slightly differently worded, but it's the same thing. Yes. Where did you go to do your training? I did my training at McGrath & Co., which at the time was a large legal aid practice. It was actually called Alt McGrath & Co. then, with Tony Alt, who was my training, training supervisor, and Graham McGrath, who Graham had previously worked at Hansworth Law Centre and Tony had worked in private practice and their idea was to sort of set up a, a, a law centre in private practice and they, they did um, crime, immigration, civil, family and a, a little bit of housing, which was, the housing was part of the civil litigation department at the time. But after, after I started training there, it was the area of law that I liked the most. And it developed and the housing team grew and grew and grew until it was about, I don't know, about 35 strong at, at one point. And, and I became a partner at McGrath & Co. before setting up uh, the community law partnership with Chris Johnson, Chris Esdale and Mike McIlvaney in uh, 1999. So and I trained in social welfare law and I was very clear that if I couldn't, couldn't get a training contract in a social welfare law firm, I wouldn't do it. Because, because I knew what I wanted to do. And if I couldn't do that, I, I, I would not have done it. I'd have done something else. And did you find great difficulties in securing a training contract in your area of law? No. I saw the, I saw the job advertised in, in legal action. And I, went for an, I was selected for interview. I went for the interview. I got the job. Um, I turned down the offer of a training contract with a criminal legal aid firm because I knew I didn't want to do criminal work long term. And I went for an interview at a sort of high street-ish general practice. And I think we both realised at the interview stage that we weren't suited to each other. Getting on as a lawyer is completely different from getting in as a lawyer. What did you learn 
in the first few years about how to be a successful practitioner, balancing all the challenges and the different skills you need to be a successful practicing lawyer? First of all, you have to work very hard. You have to be prepared to work very hard. It's very important to be able to to spot issues. I think that is the single biggest skill that a lawyer needs is to spot what the issues in the case are. Because if you if you can spot what the issues are, you can find the rest out. You you can find out what the law says in relation to that particular issue. But if you can't spot what the issues are, then you will never work it out because you'll be doing things to no effect or you'll be tackling the wrong things. So I think that's the, the single biggest legal skill is issue spotting. You then also need people skills because in our, in our area of law, clients are often inarticulate, frightened, think that the law is only for criminals in their class. Maybe English isn't their first language. They have difficulty engaging with authority generally. Often that's one of the reasons why they've got housing problems is that there's this that they're vulnerable and they have difficulties engaging. So soft skills are very important because you, you need to be able to put people at ease in order to be able to tease out the information that they don't realise is important for their case. And what's the most rewarding thing that you learnt in the first few years about what makes the job worth doing? What you can achieve, you know, how you can change people's lives. You know, it's just, it's just if somebody, somebody comes in facing uh, eviction on a rent arrears case and there's an eviction date, and, and you take instructions and you find out that the place has been falling down around their ears for the last 10 years. And, and using the law and your legal skills, you can turn that situation around so that not only are they secure in their home, but they've got seven grand in their back pocket. That's just brilliant. That feeling is just brilliant. And seven grand, and you and I have done lots of these cases, seven grand is a fortune to somebody in that environment. Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. That sort of rewarding feeling comes quite quickly because, and people are so grateful and, and also quite astonished that this was achievable because they didn't expect the law to help the likes of them. Yeah. Which brings me on to the next question I wanted to ask is, have you experienced prejudice against some types of lawyers in the legal world? Um, well. I became a deputy district judge following the first ever open competition. Deputy district judges used to be appointed mysteriously. You were invited to apply. And I would never have been invited to apply, ever, because of my accent, because of the type of work that I did. So... It's very good that it's been opened up to competition and people can now get there on merit. And I think people shouldn't be afraid of applying because they're working class or because they don't have a legal background or because they're not friends with judges. You know, you you should just go for it and have confidence in your own ability, which is not something that I've ever lacked, fortunately. Entirely justifiably in my experience. But, um, But, but, you know, there's no point in hiding your light under a bushel and and have confidence in 
your own ability. I mean, I, I, I can remember the first time I went to court as a trainee solicitor. It was on an interlocutory application. It wasn't my first time as a trainee solicitor. My, I remember my first time as a trainee solicitor because the registrar, as they were then, he tried to bully me. He was horrible. And I think he knew that I was a trainee and expected me to be fairly useless and was sort of gratuitously rude. Thankfully, these days, that's rare. But the first time I was in an interlocutory application against counsel on the other side, sadly, because she was a woman, she really did try to belittle me and un undermine my confidence outside the courtroom. It was very patronising and was very surprised that they'd sent somebody so junior to do this and it wasn't fair on me for them to have put me in that position. So we went in and I won. I, I, I trust you better right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not outside the courtroom, but I just went in and did my stuff and, and, and we won the application. Yeah. So, In our firm, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that five of our eight partners are women. So I, I haven't found it in my own workplace. What do you think is the most effective strategies for talented young people from all sorts of backgrounds coming into the law and making it? I mean, they obviously have to believe in themselves. And they, and they don't shine a light under a bushel. You're right. What else should they focus on? I think you should focus on getting some experience in the area of work that you're interested in. People can tell us that they're very interested in social welfare law. But if they have actually spent time volunteering in a citizen's advice bureau or an advice agency, or the university legal clinic, that carries more weight than somebody just making the assertion. I myself had volunteered at the CAB when, when I was at, at university, and I think that helped me because they could see that I, I wasn't just talking the talk, if you, if you see what I mean. We, at the moment, we run a placement scheme. Well, we take students who are doing a four-year law degree with a year placement and we offer a paid yearly placement to law students and we have had four law students from Aston University which is just across the road from our offices so that's absolutely brilliant and they work as our new client coordinator. Demand is so great and supply is so poor that we have to exercise a triage system so they are the first put a call for clients and they take all the details and then they talk to one of the partners about it and we decide who we're going to take on and who we're not and they coordinate that. So they're learning about the law, they're doing a real job, they get to see us, we get to see them and our first Aston University student placement qualifies as a solicitor with us in November. Brilliant. So, so if, the, if there are those sorts of schemes going See if you can get on one of them, because I think proving that you're interested in the area of law that you say you're interested in goes a long way to helping people who are recruiting in that area. And that's really good advice. Just a couple of other things I want to, to touch on with you. I've had major ups and downs in my career. I'm sure you have as well. We lose cases that we think we were going to win. We have other terrible upsets. Some of it's good luck. Some of it's bad luck. Some of it's things that we could have done better. 
we are to some extent defined not by our failures, but how we react to them and how we rebuild from it. So do you think it's important for someone coming into the profession to, to always remember that there will be things that we fail at? And of how course. do we learn from failure? Of course. We're all still learning, aren't we? You know, you, you never stop learning. And that's one of the beauties of the law is that every day there's, there's something different about, about a case. There's, yeah. something, there's something new to look up. There's, there's, some, there's something that somebody will say and you'll think, oh, I hadn't thought of that. So you do learn and you do learn from your successes, but it's important also. Often when you lose a case, your instinctive reaction is to blame the judge and say, judge got it wrong, we'll appeal. But it's always important to sort of take a step back maybe after a couple of days and think, hang on a minute, has the judge got a point? Were we barking up the wrong tree? Is there something we could have done better to, to make the case better? And, and, and to, learn, to learn from that and, and to take that with you, not, not dwell on how rubbish you think you were, because that's no good to anybody but to sort of use the knowledge that you've gained from that experience to inform your future decisions. That's a completely accurate summary of Matthew Said's book, Black Box Thinking. Um, oh, and it's completely Rosalind. right. <laughs> <laughs> Rosalind, the last thing I want to ask you is what's the best single piece of advice you've ever been given? I'm tempted to be very facetious and say it was somebody in a senior position to me at a firm that I work for that I don't work at now, who said to me, with a character like yours, you better hurry up and find yourself a man before your looks fade. <laughs> Which, I'm not naming any names. No, I think I know who it is. But I, I, and, and um, uh, of course, it's completely uh, but, wrong. But, I mean, really, I, I think it, it, it's don't give up and believe in yourself. Yeah. Just don't give up. Yeah. Rosalind, Thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. I think your insights are fantastic. It's been a pleasure working with you and continuing to work with you over the years. And I think anyone coming into the law will be enormously gifted to hear your your views. So thank you very much indeed. You're very welcome. If, I mean, my dad was a docker and my mum was a dinner lady. If I can do it, anybody can. What a great place to finish. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome.